0: section 11 of hans christian andersen's fairy tales and short stories volume 1 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org hans christian andersen fairy tales and short stories volume 1 1835 to 1842 by Hans Christian Andersen. Translated by H. P. Paul. THE Galoshes OF FORTUNE, PART ONE By Hans Christian Andersen, 1838 A BEGINNING In a house in Copenhagen, not far from the King's New Market, a very large party had assembled, the host and his family expecting no doubt to receive invitations in return. One half of the company were already seated at the card-tables. The other half seemed to be waiting the result of their hostess's question. Well, how shall we amuse ourselves? Conversation followed, which after a while began to prove very entertaining. Among other subjects it turned upon the events of the Middle Ages, which some persons maintained were more full of interest than our own times. Councillor Knapp defended this opinion so warmly, That the lady of the house immediately went over to his side and both exclaimed against orsted's essays on ancient and modern times in which the preference is given to our own the councillor considered the times of the danish king hans as the noblest and happiest he died in 1513 he married christine daughter of the electoral prince ernest of saxony the conversation on this topic was only interrupted for a moment by the arrival of a newspaper which did not however contain much worth reading and while it was still going on we will pay a visit to the ante room in which cloaks sticks and goloshes were carefully placed here sat two maidens one young and the other old as if they had come and were waiting to accompany their mistress home but on looking at them more closely it could easily be seen that they were no common servants their shapes were too graceful their complexions too delicate and the cut of their dresses much too elegant they were two fairies the younger was not fortune herself but the chambermaid of one of fortune's attendants who carries about her more trifling gifts the elder one who was named care looked rather gloomy she always goes about to perform her own business in person for then she knows it is properly done. They were telling each other where they had been during the day. The messenger of fortune had only transacted a few unimportant matters. For instance, she had preserved a new bonnet from a shower of rain, and obtained for an honest man a bow from a titled nobody, and so on. But she had something extraordinary to relate, after all. "'I must tell you,' said she, "'that today is my birthday.' and in honor of it, I have been entrusted with a pair of goloshes to introduce amongst mankind. These goloshes have the property of making every one who puts them on imagine himself in any place he wishes, or that he exists at any period. Every wish is fulfilled at the moment it is expressed, so that for once mankind have the chance of being happy no replied care you may depend upon it that whoever puts on those galoshes will be very unhappy and bless the moment in which he can get rid of them what are you thinking of replied the other now see i will place them by the door someone will take them instead of his own and he will be the happy man this was the end of their conversation what happened to the counselor it was late When counselor knapp lost in thought about the times of king hans desired to return home and fate so ordered it that he put on the goloshes of fortune instead of his own and walked out into the east street through the magic power of the goloshes he was at once carried back three hundred years to the time of king hans for which he had been longing when he put them on therefore he immediately set his foot into the mud and mire of the street which in those days possessed no pavement why this is horrible how dreadfully dirty it is said the counselor and the whole pavement has vanished and the lamps are all out the moon had not yet risen high enough to penetrate the thick foggy air and all the objects around him were confused together in the darkness at the nearest corner a lamp hung before a picture of the madonna but the light it gave was almost useless for he only perceived it when he came quite close, and his eyes fell on the painted figures of the mother and child. That is most likely a museum of art, thought he, and they have forgotten to take down the sign. Two men, in the dress of olden times, passed by him. What odd figures, thought he, they must be returning from some masquerade. Suddenly he heard the sound of a drum and fifes, and then a blazing light from torches shone upon him. The councillor stared with astonishment, as he beheld a most strange procession pass before him. First came a whole troop of drummers, beating their drums very cleverly. They were followed by lifeguards, with long bows and crossbows. The principal person in the procession was a clerical-looking gentleman, and the astonished councillor asked what it all meant, and who the gentleman might be. Why, that is the Bishop of Zealand. "'Good gracious!' he exclaimed. "'What in the world has happened to the bishop? "'What can he be thinking about?' "'Then he shook his head and said, "'It cannot possibly be the bishop himself!' "'While musing on this strange affair, "'and without looking to the right or left, "'he walked on through East Street and over High Bridge Place. "'The bridge, which he supposed led to Palace Square, "'was nowhere to be found, "'but instead he saw a bank and some shallow water "'and two people who sat in a boat. "'Does the gentleman wish to be ferried over the Holm?' asked one. "'To the Holm!' exclaimed the councillor, not knowing in what age he was now existing. "'I want to go to Christian's Haven in Little Turf Street.' The men stared at him. "'Pray tell me where the bridge is,' said he. "'It's a shameful thing that the lamps are not lighted here, "'and it is as muddy as if one were walking in a marsh.' But the more he talked with the boatmen, the less they could understand each other. I don't understand your outlandish talk he cried at last angrily turning his back upon them he could not however find the bridge nor any railings what a scandalous condition this place is in said he never certainly had he found his own times so miserable as on this evening i think it will be better for me to take a coach but where are they there was not one to be seen I shall be obliged to go back to the king's new market said he where there are plenty of carriages standing or i shall never reach christian's haven then he went towards east street and had nearly passed through it when the moon burst forth from a cloud dear me what have they been erecting here he cried as he caught sight of east gate which in olden times used to stand at the end of east street however he found an opening through which he passed and came out upon where he expected to find the new market. Nothing was to be seen but an open meadow, surrounded by a few bushes, through which ran a broad canal or stream. A few miserable-looking wooden booths, for the accommodation of Dutch watermen, stood on the opposite shore. "'Either I behold a Fata Morgana, or I must be tipsy,' groaned the councillor. "'What can it be? What is the matter with me?' He turned back in the full conviction that he must be ill. In walking through the street this time, he examined the houses more closely. He found that most of them were built of lath and plaster, and many had only a thatched roof. I am certainly all wrong, said he with a sigh, and yet I only drank one glass of punch. But I cannot bear even that, and it was very foolish to give us punch and hot salmon. I shall speak about it to our hostess, the agent's lady." suppose i were to go back now and say how ill i feel i fear it would look so ridiculous and it is not very likely that i should find anyone up and then he looked for the house but it was not in existence now, this is really frightful i cannot even recognize east street not a shop to be seen nothing but old wretched tumble-down houses just as if i were at rocks or ringstead oh i really must be ill It is no use to stand upon ceremony but where in the world is the agent's house there is a house but it is not his and people still up in it i can hear oh dear i certainly am very queer as he reached the half-open door he saw a light and went in it was a tavern of the olden times and seemed a kind of beer shop the room had the appearance of a dutch interior a number of people consisting of seamen Copenhagen citizens and a few scholars sat in deep conversation over their mugs and took very little notice of the newcomer. Pardon me, said the councillor, addressing the landlady. I-, I do not feel quite well, and I should be much obliged if you will send for a fly to take me to Christianshaven. The woman stared at him and shook her head, and then she spoke to him in German. The councillor supposed from this that she did not understand Danish he therefore repeated his request in german this as well as his singular dress convinced the woman that he was a foreigner she soon understood however that he did not find himself quite well and therefore brought him a mug of water it had something of the taste of sea water certainly although it had been drawn from the well outside and then the counselor leaned his head on his hand drew a deep breath and pondered over all the strange things had happened to him is that today's number of the day which was an evening paper in copenhagen he asked quite mechanically as he saw the woman putting by a large piece of paper she did not understand what he meant but she handed him the sheet it was a woodcut representing a meteor which had appeared in the town of cologne that is very old said the councillor, becoming quite cheerful at the sight of this antique drawing where did you get this singular sheet it is very interesting although the whole affair is a fable meteors are easily explained in these days they are northern lights which are often seen and are no doubt caused by electricity those who sat near him and heard what he said looked at him in great astonishment and one of them rose Took off his hat respectfully and said in a very serious manner you must certainly be a very learned man monsieur oh no replied the counselor i can only discourse on topics which everyone should understand modestia is a beautiful virtue said the man moreover i must add to your speech mihi secus veditur yet in this case i would suspend my judicium may i ask to whom i have the pleasure of speaking I am a Bachelor of Divinity, said the man. This answer satisfied the counselor. The title agreed with the dress. This is surely, thought he, an old village schoolmaster, a perfect original, such as one meets with sometimes even in Jutland. This is not certainly a locus docendi, began the man. Still, I must beg you to continue the conversation. You must be well read in ancient lore. "'Oh, yes,' replied the counselor, "'I am very fond of reading useful old books, and modern ones as well, with the exception of everyday stories, of which we really have more than enough.' "'Everyday stories?' asked the bachelor. "'Yes, I mean the new novels that we have at the present day.' "'Oh,' replied the man with a smile, "'and yet they are very witty, and are much read at court. The king likes especially the romance of messieurs Ethan and Guardian." which describes king arthur and his knights of the round table he has joked about it with a gentleman of his court well i have certainly not read that replied the councillor. i suppose it is quite new and published by heiberg no answered the man it is not by heiberg godfred von gamen brought it out oh is he the publisher that is a very old name said the counsellor was it not the name of the first publisher in denmark yes and he is our first printer and publisher now, replied the scholar. So far all had passed off very well, but now one of the citizens began to speak of a terrible pestilence, which had been raging a few years before, meaning the plague of 1484. The councillor thought he referred to the war in 1490, and was spoken of as quite recent. The English pirates had taken some ships in the Channel in 1801, and the counsellor, supposing they referred to these, agreed with them in finding fault with the English. The rest of the talk, however, was not so agreeable. Every moment one contradicted the other. The good bachelor appeared very ignorant, for the simplest remark of the counsellor seemed to him either too bold or too fantastic. They stared at each other. And when it became worse, the bachelor spoke in Latin in the hope of being better understood, but it was all useless how are you now asked the landlady pulling the councillor's sleeve then his recollection returned to him in the course of conversation he had forgotten all that had happened previously goodness me where am i said he it bewildered him as he thought of it we will have some claret or mead or bremen beer said one of the guests will you drink with us two maids came in one of them had a cap on her head of two colors in the time of king hans chambermaids were obliged to wear caps of two colors they poured out the wine bowed their heads and withdrew the counselor felt a cold shiver run all over him what is this what does it mean said he but he was obliged to drink with them for they overpowered the good man with their politeness he became at last desperate And when one of them said he was tipsy, he did not doubt the man's word in the least, only begged them to get a drashki, and then they thought he was speaking the Muscovite language. Never before had he been in such rough and vulgar company. One might believe that the country was going back to heathenism, he observed. This is the most terrible moment of my life. Just then it came into his mind that he would stoop under the table and so creep to the door. He tried it, but before he reached the entry, the rest discovered what he was about, and seized him by the feet, when, luckily for him, off came the goloshes, and with them vanished the whole enchantment. The councillor now saw quite plainly a lamp and a large building behind it. Everything looked familiar and beautiful. He was in East Street, as it now appears he lay with his legs turned towards a porch and just by him sat the watchman asleep is it possible that i have been lying here in the street dreaming said he yes this is east street how beautifully bright and gay it looks it is quite shocking that one glass of punch should have upset me like this two minutes afterwards he sat in a droshky which was to drive him to christian's haven he thought of all the terror and anxiety which he had undergone, and he felt thankful from his heart for the reality and comfort of modern times, which, for all their errors, were far better than those in which he so lately found himself. THE WATCHMAN'S ADVENTURES "'Well, I declare, there lies a pair of goloshes,' said the watchman. "'No doubt they belong to the lieutenant, who lives upstairs. They are lying just by his door.' gladly would the honest man have rung and given them in for a light was still burning but he did not wish to disturb the other people in the house so he let them lie these things must keep the feet very warm said he they are of such nice soft leather and then he tried them on and they fitted his feet exactly now said he how droll things are in this world there's that man can lie down in his warm bed but he does not do so there he goes pacing up and down the room he ought to be a happy man he has neither wife nor children and he goes out into company every evening oh i wish i were he then i should be a happy man as he uttered this wish the goloshes which he had put on took effect and the watchman at once became the lieutenant and there he stood in his room holding a little piece of pink paper between his fingers on which was a poem a poem written by the lieutenant himself who has not had for once in his life a moment of poetic inspiration and at such a moment if the thoughts are written down they flow in poetry the following verses were written on the pink paper oh were i rich oh were i rich how oft in youth's bright hour when youthful pleasures banish every care i long for riches but to gain a power the sword and plume and uniform to wear the riches and the honor came for me yet still my greatest wealth was poverty ah help and pity me once in my youthful hours when gay and free a maiden loved me and her gentle kiss rich in its tender love and purity taught me alas too much of earthly bliss dear child she only thought of youthful glee she loved no wealth but fairy tales and me. Thou knowest. Ah, pity me. Oh, were I rich. Again is all my prayer. That child is now a woman, fair and free. As good and beautiful as angels are. Oh, were I rich in lover's poetry. To tell my fairy tale, love's richest lore. But no, I must be silent. I am poor. Ah, wilt thou pity me? oh were i rich in truth and peace below i need not then my poverty bewail to thee i dedicate these lines of woe wilt thou not understand the mournful tale a leaf on which my sorrows i relate dark story of a darker night of fate ah bless and pity me well yes people write poems when they're in love but a wise man will not print them a lieutenant in love and poor this is a triangle or more properly speaking the half of the broken die of fortune the lieutenant felt this very keenly and therefore leaned his head against the window frame and sighed deeply the poor watchman in the street said he is far happier than i am he knows not what i call poverty he has a home a wife and children who weep at his sorrow and rejoice at his joy oh how much happier i should be if i could change my being and position with him and pass through life with his humble expectations and hopes yes he is indeed happier than i am at this moment the watchman again became a watchman for having through the goloshes of fortune passed into the existence of the lieutenant and found himself less contented than he expected he had preferred his former condition and wished himself again a watchman that was an ugly dream said he but droll enough it seemed to me as if i were the lieutenant up yonder but there was no happiness for me i missed my wife and the little ones who are always ready to smother me with kisses he sat down again and nodded but he could not get the dream out of his thoughts and he still had the goloshes on his feet a falling star gleamed across the sky there goes one cried he however there are quite enough left i should very much like to examine those a little nearer especially the moon for that could not slip away under one's hands the student for whom my wife washes says that when we die we shall fly from one star to another if that were true it would be very delightful but i don't believe it i wish i could make a little spring up there now i would willingly let my body lie here on the steps there are certain things in the world which should be uttered very cautiously doubly so when the speaker has on his feet the goloshes of fortune now we shall hear what happened to the watchman nearly every one is acquainted with the great power of steam we have proved it by the rapidity with which we can travel both on a railroad or in a steamship across the sea but this speed is like the movements of the sloth or the crawling march of the snail when compared to the swiftness with which light travels light flies nineteen million times faster than the fleetest racehorse and electricity is more rapid still death is an electric shock which we receive in our hearts, and on the wings of electricity the liberated soul flies away swiftly. The light from the sun travels to our earth ninety-five millions of miles in eight minutes and a few seconds. But on the wings of electricity the mind requires only a second to accomplish the same distance. The space between the heavenly bodies is, to thought, no farther than the distance we may have to walk from one's friend's house to another in the same town. And yet this electric shock obliges us to use our bodies here below, unless, like the watchman, we have on the galoshes of fortune. In a very few seconds the watchman had travelled more than two hundred thousand miles to the moon, which is formed of a lighter material than our earth, and may be said to be as soft as new-fallen snow. He found himself on one of the circular ranges of mountains, which we see represented in Dr. Madler's large map of the moon. The interior had the appearance of a large hollow bowl-shaped, with a depth about half a mile from the brim. Within this hollow stood a large town, we may form some idea of its appearance, by pouring the white of an egg into a glass of water. The materials of which it was built seemed just as soft, and pictured forth cloudy turrets and sail-like terraces quite transparent and floating in the thin air our earth hung over his head like a great dark red ball presently he discovered a number of beings which might certainly be called men but were very different to ourselves a more fantastical imagination than herschel's must have discovered these had they been placed in groups and painted it might have been said what beautiful foliage they had also a language of their own no one could have expected the soul of the watchman to understand it and yet he did understand it for our souls have much greater capabilities than we are inclined to believe do we not in our dreams show a wonderful dramatic talent each of our acquaintances appear to us then in his own character and with his own voice no man could thus imitate them In his waking hours how clearly too we are reminded of persons whom we have not seen for many years they start up suddenly to the mind's eye with all their peculiarities as living realities in fact this memory of the soul is a fearful thing every sin every sinful thought it can bring back and we may well ask how we are to give account of every idle word that may have been whispered in the heart Or uttered with the lips the spirit of the watchman therefore understood very well the language of the inhabitants of the moon they were disputing about our earth and doubted whether it could be inhabited the atmosphere they asserted must be too dense for any inhabitants of the moon to exist there they maintained that the moon alone was inhabited and was really the heavenly body in which the old world people lived They likewise talked politics. But now we will descend to East Street and see what happened to the watchman's body. He sat lifeless on the steps. His staff had fallen out of his hand, and his eyes stared at the moon about which his honest soul was wandering. "'What is it o'clock, watchman?' inquired a passenger. But there was no answer from the watchman the man then pulled his nose gently which caused him to lose his balance the body fell forward and lay at full length on the ground as one dead all his comrades were very much frightened for he seemed quite dead still they allowed him to remain after they had given notice of what had happened and at dawn the body was carried to the hospital we might imagine it to be no jesting matter if the soul of the man should chance to return to him For most probably it would seek for the body in East Street, without being able to find it. We might fancy the soul inquiring of the police, or at the address office, or among the missing parcels, and then at length finding it at the hospital. But we may comfort ourselves by the certainty that the soul, when acting upon its own impulses, is wiser than we are. It is the body that makes it stupid." as we have said the watchman's body had been taken to the hospital and here it was placed in a room to be washed naturally the first thing done here was to take off the goloshes upon which the soul was instantly obliged to return and it took the direct road to the body at once and in a few seconds the man's life returned to him he declared when he quite recovered himself that this had been the most dreadful night he had ever passed not for a hundred pounds would he go through such feelings again however it was all over now the same day he was allowed to leave but the goloshes remained at the hospital end of the watchman's adventures